0: All right. Welcome back to another episode of Are You a Robot? This is a series where we aim to tackle some of the greatest challenges that stem from machine learning and AI. All of these issues around governance and ethics of AI as it really starts to become more and more prevalent in our daily lives We need to talk about these challenges. We need to talk about some of these questions that are being raised before it's too late and it's already taken over the world. Not AI as a sentient being, I mean, but just as something that we take for granted and we didn't really have a say in. So the way that we're doing that is we're getting some of these bright minds that are working on this day in and day out to come on here and talk with me about what it is exactly that they're doing, how they see the world, if there's anything that we should be looking at closer, any really topical questions that need to be answered. So I will mention that if you enjoy the conversation at all, jump into our slack because we are continuing these conversations that we have with the guests in slack so you can find the information to join our slack community in the link below and last but not least I believe if you've been here before, you know that we have an incredible sponsor, Ethics Grade. They are an ESG ratings company, which basically means that they are looking at the non-financial impact that companies have on their world, on the world and their environments. The way that they're doing it is they're very niche right now, and they're looking at the AI governance that different programs have and they're rating them. You get to see if they get between an A or an F on the rating scale. So if you're interested in looking at how Tesla compares to Toyota when it comes to their AI governance program, jump on over to the ethics grade website, which you can find a link for in the description below. And without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Nona about with Yona about neurodiversity. I had an absolute blast talking with him and I hope you enjoy. Are you a robot? Today we wanted to talk about neurodiversity and AI. And I think we should probably start with what is neurodiversity?
1: Yeah, Um, I would love to quote um, one of my peers who was my guest. He is a um, researcher at Harvard and he spent over a decade working on neurodiversity in neuroscience. Um, And he states that every individual has some invisible differences in in their brain, sometimes for good, sometimes for not. And in most cases, we're not even able to explore it through MRI, at least at this stage of a technology development, maybe later we will be able to see it. But at least now it's completely invisible for all of us. And these differences lead to particular Um, changes in our behavior, cognitive abilities, the way how we learn, how we think, how we feel. Sometimes it leads to a kind of invisible mental health disorders or issues, sometimes to a a particular way to see things, sometimes to things like uh, autism or dyslexia. And there are the whole spectrum of these conditions. And we always say, yes, the spectrum, it's not just a particular type or it's not a particular disorder, and we even don't state that it's a disorder. It's just the spectrum of these differences that we hope to explore one day through MRIs and similar stuff. Uh, and we will use it in medicine and education in a more predictable way. But currently, is more like uh, playing around psychology, psychiatry, uh, uh, learning, Technology and everything in between, and it's still just in the beginning of this movement and actual implementation and adoption in medicine and education. So, would you say it's still highly
0: subjective?
1: Yep. Yep. For instance, um until particular moment there was um Asperger syndrome, and it was uh-huh. kind of a light version of autism, but nowadays many professionals state uh, what it's not correct to use Asperger term, and we always should talk about autism, and it's the par- parts of the same spectrum, but uh, different parts of the spectrum, different levels of the spectrum, mm-hmm. but it's pretty uh, similar thing. At the same time, th- the same level, I would say, uh, not clear um uh, vision in psychiatry. Some people say that schizoid uh, personality disorder, schizophrenia, they all related to autism spectrum in some way. There are intersections, and it's just kind of a research. It's not clear. We're not able to state it because uh, science is, is about some kind of evidence artifact. We're able to pick through uh, studies. Yeah. If we have no evidence, we have no MRI, we have no some kind of a actual study. It's just a hypothesis. And yes, we're just playing around. And it's pretty bad specifically for people who actually struggle uh, to find their work, to find their place in the world. And in most cases, we spend a significant amount of time, resources, and nothing helps because doctors, educators, just playing around and experiment. And in 95% of cases, uh, we're wrong, unfortunately.
0: Hmm. So the thing that jumps to mind right now is the neurodiverse are generally labeled in a bad way.
1: I would say yes.
0: Is that, yeah. I mean, because you speak about some of these different, Conditions like autism and schizophrenia. I know people don't want their kid to have schizophrenia, for example. That's not something that you're going to go celebrate if you find out about, right? So the neurodiverse are in, they're kind of cornered into a part of society that is uh, a different part where it's not as easy. For them to fit in, I guess, is the, the thing that I, I'm thinking of. And so what are some other challenges that
1: the neurodiverse face? Uh, yes. Uh, first of all, for me, and uh, I believe there are kind of a two uh, extremities um, in our movement. On one hand, people who stigmatized neurodiversity and other people who I would say celebrated it is some kind of a superpower. I believe the truth is that in some uh, particular elements, it can be superpower, but it's a pretty relative, just some kind of a focus. Um, but in most cases, it really a limit your ability to affect your health in negative ways. Schizophrenia have a mostly negative Influence on your life, and it's a mental health disorder, and you should use treatment. You should be disciplined in your lifestyle and many many other things. For sure, you should not be stigmatized, but it doesn't mean so you just celebrate the effect of such uh, disorders and just live in the way you like. No. It really affect you, your family, your environment, and there are many technology and medical solutions which can be uh, actually implemented to your life to make it efficient to maybe use some particular superpower but also limit the bad elements of this disorder and conditions uh, so um, definitely it's um, for instance, some people have a more tendency to obesity and it's not superpower. <laughs> And they just the kind of a knowledge they have, and they just should mm-hmm. control it. At the same time, maybe they have some physical ability would help them in the sport, for instance, Olympic wave But once again, it's also kind of 50, 50% situation. You have some weaknesses and strength, and you just should be aware of uh, all of those elements in order to live in a, a, an efficient way. And for instance, what I try to implement uh, for myself, yes. So
0: from doing a bit of research on you, I've seen that you are a, an advocate of the ability of AI or technology to help the neurodiverse. Can we dive into that real quick?
1: And can you give us some examples? Yes. Um, first of all, I believe um, both psychiatry and people who are involved in mental health field and related to autism um, for me, they act very in, in, in scientific way and they spend too much time just playing around, experimenting, and uh, they're not able to find appropriate educational solutions over the many years. And after that, children or teenagers just uh, lost their opportunity to become someone. So uh, how technology can help Um Machine learning or any platform which use AI a- able to analyze it you much quicker. <laughs> when any type of a doctors, they able to uh, screen what you like, what you share, what you um, talking about. For instance, uh, we work on startup focused on uh, AI for dyslexia and track your uh, eyeballs and how you, for instance, read the text on the screen. Uh, your attention span, particular elements uh, of uh, engagement, and so on. And in the same way, we can use uh, uh, special education content for VR in in cases of autism. We can use social robots that deal with kids and uh, engage them in particular pace, in particular amount of uh, engagement rate or... uh, uh, attention rate. They're able to screen it, learn it, and adapt it, uh, creating a more comfortable place uh, uh, for them. Because unfortunately, it's important to mention that many neurological disorders are not just about uh, kind of um, as, um, specifics, how people learn or feel, but also, f- for instance, sensitivity and then they're not able to learn in an efficient way or they treat it as other kids, for instance. We can become aggressive or very lonely or depressive. So at some point we need to create a soft zone, comfort zone in order to help them to adapt, to fill this zone and after that, discipline themselves even without technology. So uh, basically, you're able mm-hmm. to do it even without technology, but it's actually, I would say for me, it takes like a significant focus, significant research. You spend mm-hmm. years and years to find appropriate it, a way to learn, uh, to think. For instance, I'm not very efficient uh, in learning through listening, for instance, but pretty efficient when I use writing, reading and structuring the text. Uh, so I'm, I'm more kind of machine learning itself. So I need data sets and Excel, for instance, and help me to understand things better. I need logic, like why, how A relates to B, C, and I always use a kind of this is A logic, B logic, and how it relates. Um, so you should come up with the, what works for you. For instance, when we create adaptive learning in education, we use different approaches uh, to kids. So we use this, this one, this one, we measure engagement, we use, uh, we measure outcomes, efficiency, and find your superpower and focus on it. For instance, in companies in Google or Amazon, we uh, started to implement so-called uh, neurodiverse hiring uh, then we are mostly focused on particular type of engineering or a data science uh, occupation and they use a uh, platforms for hiring that limited limit uh, element of a communication uh, I mean face to face because it's pretty difficult for autistic people but it's more uh, focus on I would say text uh, communication between autistic people more dealing with numbers um and once again, it's just the beginning, because as we said before, it's the spectrum. So in some cases, we need a bit more communication, in some cases, a bit less. So with what I call algorithmic diversity mm-hmm. is a kind of a micro niches for different type of neurodivergent people, but more importantly, we also can use it for disability in general, for different conditions, including physical ones. So yes, and for me, it's a a mission not only about neurodiversity, but about ability in general, and I believe it helps to improve technology uh, overall.
0: I want to dive into something you said there about how it's basically a crutch in the beginning. And then we can learn, or uh, it can be taught after time. It's just more difficult to teach it in the be- beginning, or it takes more focus. It takes more time without these, uh, without this technology. And so, do you see this as something that is a like a, a starter kit, and then later it helps integrate? people into quote-unquote normal situations, because whatever is normal, but into different social situations.
1: Is that the way that you look at it? And I would love to share an example, maybe closer to you since you're a musician, because I see a guitar uh, behind you. I'm a musician as well. So uh, for instance, um, currently uh, people use autotune different plugins in order to make uh, music uh, completely automated. Sometimes we use even sequence of uh, already done chords. So it's completely done. It's a kind of a game and you can use in order to come up uh, with something more complex. For instance, just recently companies start to recreate modular synthesizers. It's the way how we're done in 60s, 70s. There is no arpeggiator sometimes. There is no keyboard Specifically, it's created by MOOC, but it helps you to be more focused on your own sequence of actions. And then we jump maybe to 19th century when people compose music just using the piano and piece of paper. So it's a kind of uh, the levels of a complexity and freedom and the less and less comfort zone. We use, we use a toy, we use a, a more a complex toy, and at some point, we use only our brain and our experiences in learning in order to find what worked for us or how to create. And the same way, we're able to use technology, social robots to create some very comfort zone in order just to make first steps to understand, I would say, what's your style? What's your type of a framework of thinking, mm-hmm. learning, creating, After that, we we use technology a bit less and use more our own uh, consciousness in order, for instance, to uh, go to the school, create something. And after that, we do everything completely alone with how it worked for me, for instance, at least in even creative uh, world, Uh, because for me, music was a, a part of my challenge. I was not able to learn uh, the music uh, theory, and I really use the computer to help me to automate some process. Over the years, I'm going initially to the uh, piano, to the instruments. I use some automation to improve my initial results. But with years, it became Mm -hmm. more and more good, even without support of technology. And now I became kind of multi-instrumentalist, still very far from my ideal vision, but I continue to work on it. Though initially it was completely driven by computer, maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So yeah, and the same way we're able to use it for many type of uh, learning experiences. And I really think music is a pretty good example here.
0: Yeah, that's perfect. I love how you just picked that out of my background and were able to give me an excellent example of it. So let's talk a little bit more about the highly tailored or highly specific learning paths that you can do. Because I think that is something that I wish I had when and whenever I learn something, I still wish that I had this highly specific way of learning it that is the way that I like to learn things. Uh, But I think that there's an interesting point you brought up is that the computer or the program is going to be scanning the person who is trying to learn so that it can see which way, what their superpower is, I think is the term that you called it. And so what's the best way that this person learns
1: so that we can get them on that track? Is that,
0: am I understanding that correctly? Um,
1: yes. Um, first of all, it's important to mention that I'm more technologist, but less educator. So for instance, I can um, uh, share my experience as a person or someone who deal with startups. And I just maybe uh, can share some, pretty abstract or kind of a high level of perspective about kids and different type of learning experiences. Um, but um, uh, for me, um, I see it as um, some kind of a system of a limitation. Just imagine what you try to compose uh, this on and you say, I, I'm able to use a, just an infinite amount of the tools because they're available as a plugins in my computer, but I use only four only one bass, only one guitar, only one piano, and only one um, brass or strings and that's all. It's four tools. And now I find a way how to build a brilliant song in one hour. So how I will do it, and I start to experiment. So it's a kind of a system of, like matrix or modular system. Like a, I have a, just a two, three, four tools which I use to achieve particular results. So uh, then I'm learning and I, I deal with different startups that uh, learning technologies. I try to think in modular way. We have a particular elements of interface, which we use in order to um, achieve uh, point B from point A. And we use different metrics like time, engagement, um, involvement, and so on. Um, so yeah, for instance, I prefer to uh, learn... Um, let's say for some kind of a systematization of creation of logic. I'm always use Excel for me. Excel is just a part of my life. I'm always creative, for instance. Um, I, uh, it's like a MVP vision. In order to know something, I need to know this, 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 this one. For this, I need to this, 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 with, with one. So it's a kind of a blocks, descriptions, metrics. And I just to try to achieve it as soon as possible. And that's why, for instance, remote learning using open platforms like EDX or Coursera become very efficient for me. Or um, (laughs) I I make a statement. I need to uh, read uh, 10 sources about this part of the knowledge. And after that, it helped me to learn this. And I create some kind of uh, goals, numbers, metrics, and I'm just learning for iteration. I think there are many similarities with agile, lean approach, a bit with the education, learning, yeah. uh, some kind of a minimal approach, but also focusing on the outcomes, uh, timing, metrics, and so on. But once again, just what I'm doing as a technologist, I believe uh, educators focus on, for instance, neurodiversity will be able to come up with uh, more um Uh, maybe details based on the dealing with kids. I'm I'm not working in schools, for instance, just uh, working on startups for schools. Um, So yeah, what I feel, what I explored over the years. Yeah, it's
0: really insightful and I'm wondering about the use of machine learning in all of these technologies and where... So you, you're speaking about like ways that we can give uh, someone with autism less human interaction and more screen interaction. Where does machine learning or AI fit into that equation? Or is it just that we're conscientious of
1: this fact? Uh, yes, uh, there are different applications. For instance... Um, First of all, it is always based kind of a user research. It's very similar. We talk to kids or talk to individual. um, How you prefer to learn, how you prefer to deal with your friends, how your typical day looks like. You spend nine hours uh, in front of computer and maybe one hour uh, talking to your friends. Is it comfortable for you? Yeah, so it's a kind of initial situation. It's like a 90% of time working with computer, 10% and talking to people. There's a kind of proportion. After that, we start in experimentation, uh, dealing with uh, for instance, learnings of particular experiments, and trying to, for instance, increase the amount of uh, human interaction with uh, real-life teachers, and just uh, analyzing outcomes, how it changes. For instance, if we make a uh, 90, 10, 9, 90 and 10%, maybe 80 and 20, mm-hmm. uh, 70 and 30, 50 and and so on. And they make an experimentation and help to optimize and personalize uh, experiences uh, to you. And in the end, if the system says, oh, this guy actually learned very good talking to people, uh, I mean, and they really need more uh, Zoom meetings and maybe even not Zoom meetings, but maybe we should go to the meetup in their uh, cities because in nowadays, not only technology decentralized, but also meetups so local meetings, go to the uh, your city maybe uh, in Portugal and have fun with your friends because you really w- work and uh, feel pretty good. And it was about not only maybe uh, autism, but maybe some anxiety. And actually you feel pretty great and you're pretty social person, but maybe too shy. So, yeah. That's how we're able to see it. And in the end, it's really about, not only about technology, but kind of a mentor and people who deal with such people, they ask questions and they try to find their weaknesses and strengths because there is very, um, I would say, thin line between mental health, neurodiversity, uh, some kind of social problems, and we need to measure all of them because sometimes they are very complex. I'm autistic Mm. and that's why I'm depressed. And that's why I have other disorders, including including physical ones as a result. And we should really measure how initial problem is actually big. Maybe it's not so big. And maybe the mental health problems became even bigger and they make you completely isolated at the the same time with person able to learn very good way in open classroom. So um, as I said before, I'm not advocate of the safe places um during significant amount of time I consider it it's just to mm-hmm. I would say sandbox or a playground for initial learning and I believe mm-hmm. anyone is able to go beyond the comfort zone in some point we just need to feel it and make it in a comfortable way so with how I see it and with how I've done it for myself for instance
0: so you talk about tracking and getting data. How is that done? Is it done through apps and through some of the interaction with these different startups that you um,
1: that you're working with, or? Is there another way? Yes. First of all, any app actually tracks you, and it's not something new. I mean, in the past, I've built startups, which, um, for instance, use collaborative filtering and semantic analysis in order to un- understand wh- what type of content you like, shares, uh, to find like-minded people, to measure correlation. So actually, it's very simple. For instance, then you use the API of Facebook. You're able to request all of the data, not only about you, but also Everyone who like your comment, and uh, Facebook actually have all of this data based on profiles, and you're able to create, uh, I would say, some kind of behavioral uh, stats and so on, both on you, your family, or your friends' profiles, and the same with any type of uh, educational learning um or well-being technology. we're able to track what you like, what you use, uh, what kind of actions you've made to day to, uh, or yesterday, uh, what kind of preferences you have, how you react on particular actions. So it's how technology work and it's how what type of companies I typically deal with uh, since um, maybe 2010, or 11 initially i became passionate about this topic when my space became huge i was a musician and artist and i really uh, thinking about okay we have a platform that pair Uh, musician artist, and people. So how to make this process actually seamless, how to uh, recommend something actually relevant, not this one, not this terrible piece of pop culture, but maybe some good indie music that are relevant to these people because we love uh, philosophy or uh, this stuff and this stuff. And that's how it works. And we're able to use it in education nowadays. Uh, yeah, and for sure, I'm talking to startups as well and also trying to work on ethical field because on one hand, it's amazing. We can collect so much data about people, but at the same time, it can be used in a very bad way. And that's why uh, Europe came up with GDPR. U.S. currently trying to do something very similar. And nowadays, collecting data becomes much more complicated. On one hand, it's very good. Uh, because uh, unfortunately companies tend to sell it, monetize it in any possible way, specifically um, startups, because we need to show traction to their investors. And if you're an AI company, you always say, you know, we have a main service, but also we monetize data uh, as initial source of a flow, but it's a significant problem. So yeah, and it's a But it's another topic, basically, but it's very important. Yeah, well, let's talk
0: a little bit about that, like the biases or the ethical issues around some of this, uh, the
1: AI for neurodiversity. Um, Yeah. Um, First of all, um, I see uh, several things. Um, The first thing... Um, we still have no representation, representation in technology. Um, um, If we're talking about, uh, first of all, I would love to say that neurodiversity is not something unique, but just the case um, of the underrepresented communities and many other groups face the similar type of biases and types of ethical issues. So for instance, if we talk about women products, there are only 10% of women in tech teams. So we have no representation of women. And the same with uh, neurodiverse people, we have no neurodiverse people in tech teams, or we're not able to inde- identify them, or they have no voice, so uh, or we don't use them in, or in user research. So it just fails. There is a very good phrase which was uh, shared on the World Economic Forum. It 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 stated. Um, Artificial intelligence can be a silver bullet for any possible problem in the world, but at the same time, it can be the source of apocalypse, and it really uh, depends who and how ask questions. So um, I, I I tend to think that it's really good that neurodiverse people ask questions uh, or other neurodiverse people because they talk the same language, they're able to understand uh, each other much better in the same this other group so the, the first problem is representation um, the second um, uh, I believe we still really uh, lack of a technology from the bottom I mentioned the significant amount of my passion is a hackathons I really love and people just go to a slack or discord and just do stuff and it started to happen just uh, uh, maybe one year ago. COVID-19 help us <laughs> really help us to accelerate the technology. Uh, young people in different countries just go to us, like spend uh, uh, their weekend to build robots, to build some applications for health or future work, and so on, uh, and come up with some ideas. So it's really helped to democratize and uh, drive more people who care, who have ideas, who have some new concept to this world. Because uh, funny enough, um, I, I use some uh, antidepressant for me. And if you explore this topic, you know that um, many type of medication were not actually improved since 1960s. The same type of uh, medication used again and again and again. I'm really wondering mm-hmm. why it happened, and I believe one of the reasons we really need to democratize people who present it in medicine, in health tech, in hackathons is really good idea because it helps help us to pick pick young people who come up with some ideas with new perspective. Uh, so yes, democratization of a neurodiverse. Uh, technology, and people who work in this um, uh, in this um, industry really matter. And the first thing is the ethics frameworks. Um, just recently, I've completed uh, the project. It's called Human-Centered AI and Ethics. And in, um, it was funded by European Commission. It will be focused on integration across smart factories in Europe, in companies like Bosch, Volkswagen, okay. and... Uh, the, the final part of the program was focused on human rights. And I made a research and I explored there was only one framework focused on children's rights and AI. So the key, pe- the key type of people who consume content on the internet are teenagers. Adult content is everywhere. YouTube, yeah. Snapchat, all of this stuff. And we never had any framework related to ethics of AI, smart toys, education, nothing. Only UNICEF came up with the framework uh, one year ago. It was published in uh, August 2020. And World Economic Forum started the project that's called Generation AI, but it's still kind of a new stuff. And the same with accessibility and disability and neurodiversity. There is no any type of a particular frameworks focused how to build the social robot in ethical way. So we uh, just mm-hmm. uh, so there is a, just a data privacy, uh, security stuff. Um, there are three points in uh, GDPR about AI. We should innovate <laughs> in an ethical way. We should make uh, society progressive and we should uh, c- uh, care about uh, uh, da- data privacy. So it's still really about data privacy, but uh, not about how robots affect human interaction, uh, so- socialization, mental health, yes. and so on. Nothing. It's a it's so complex topic. For instance, we started to discuss how to replace teacher or for instance, complement teachers with robots. Cool, but how you plan to do it? I mean, how actually it affects human relationships, and it's just not the kind of philosophy. No, nope. it's actually policymaking stuff as well. Is it working over legal stuff, um, psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, social science experts, um, youth experts, and so on? And the same with neurodiversity. Uh, we almost had nothing about it because just maybe a few years ago we explored what we actually have in neurodiverse people. (laughs) I mean, it was just became a kind of mainstream. After that, we started to create a technology, but we still have no funding. It's a very underfunded field. It's a extremely difficult to become feasible and sustainable with uh, AI for dyslexia, AI for neurodiversity. Most of them funded by government, but venture capitalists not interested in. So most time people Mm -hmm. just try to make this startup feasible. And maybe just now we have some discussion of of moral side of all of this technology. And, And though I believe this technology has a great potential there's a the whole spectrum of cases, situation, and we have uh, many good researchers about it. It's not covered, but ethical considerations at all. Just maybe about how we collect data. So we just need the consent with parents. So we don't collect any sensitive data from your kids. And is enough. But it's not about psychology, how it affects their development, how it's affect their long-term functioning. So it's still significant part for research, work, and uh, hopefully um, finished frameworks. So are you speaking about things
0: like if we had a, a little robot that was the teacher, or replacing the teacher 50% of the time for and autistic student or a student who is, has dyslexia, the ethical research that needs to be done around whether or not they're going to become too attached to these robots or they're going to start thinking that the robot is their best friend and not be able to blur the robot from other humans? Is that
1: what you're talking about? Yes. Uh, it's a, uh, a very good question. Um, First of all, I think psychiatrists and psychology experts will be able to share more cases, but I would love to share uh, what I explored, what I have uh, over my journey. Um, Artistic people, people with schizoid personality disorder, they uh, tend to live their own life, uh, their their own world, which uh, mostly detached from the real world. So in most cases, we don't feel, um, sometimes they don't feel relation to the other people. And um, though we, we discussed it before talking about, um, for instance, superpower of autism, but at the same time, artistic people can be manipulative, egocentric, and so on, just because we don't feel empathy to other people or feel it differently. And um, if they deal only with robots who are smarter, more efficient than the teacher, than the friends, how do you think we will treat other people? It doesn't mean that they will manifest it very actively every time, but it definitely will affect their actions, their ego, their mind, and so on. And uh, definitely we weigh how we introduce technology. Personally, I believe it should be introduced as a tool, not as a subject or autonomous agent that uh, make actions without any uh, interruption from a human side, but only as a tool. Uh, Second, we always have a perspective of outcomes. We trying to grow people with empathy, with love to humanity, love to people, love to society, love to uh, humankind in general, not just efficient, uh, I would say agent (laughs) uh, who used any type of uh, resources in order to achieve their goals. I mean, with how Silicon Valley actually work is the same. I mean, it was a very close over a particular period of time. They have tons of money. And media say, guys, you're a geniuses. You're a special. Do what you want. And what we have now, Facebook say, guys, data is our property, not you. <laughs> because uh, we are uh, kind of the kings of this game. It's how it works for us. Sorry, guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, just imagine with someone became very efficient in the same way and we protect such type of a behavior. No, nope. it is a kind of another extremity. And the same way, we should think about finding this superpower. We should always fight some kind of a super ego, uh, super non, non-human behavior, and so on. Because in the end, we are all humans, and we have a black and white part of our, I would say, uh, weaknesses, strengths. We we have a good passions, bad passions, bad habits. And in the same way how we're able to empower superpower, we're able to empower our fears, our hatred, and so on. And that's mm-hmm. why implementation of robots, implementation of AI is always should be done with a psychologist, mentors, uh, different types of social practices, and complete changes in the way how we learn, how we deal, for instance, I'm a neurodiverse person and I spend significant amount of time not working with AI, no, working with people. I mean, I I'm actually deal with the technology itself pretty limited amount of time. And I, I would say that uh-huh. the period of time that I was mostly focused on technology, I was pretty antisocial. I mean, from I would say in terms of my behavior, how I talk to people, you really started to lose these skills. I mean... It's impossible to learn it without actual talking to real people, not just some kind of a, uh, avatars of people or some kind of a role models yeah. of people on, the, on your screen. In, in the end, it's just a playground, but in real life, it, not real life, it's a kind of, is a like difference between the even very good virtual reality or augmented reality and real life. And in the end, if uh, kids play with augmented reality stuff in class. It's not the same, for instance, go to the real life. It's like a a Formula One in the game or on the real track with all dangerous, with all responsibility. Uh, And Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, and
0: I feel like it's not only for neurodiverse kids especially, but for anyone. When we start to see more of this becoming the norm, and you have more robot interaction or you have more learning through uh, smarter agents or you have more interaction with the machines, the importance that this is built in an ethical way and it has that framework around it like you were talking about is huge because it's not only the neurodiverse that are going to lose that that touch of humanity or that are going to grow potentially negative aspects of themselves because you can talk or you can yell at Alexa, for example, or Siri, however you want, and she's, or I even say she, <laughs> the machine will keep their cool, right? Because they are they don't have the emotions and at least not yet. Uh, and so... We can be however we want to them and we can grow whatever side of ourselves from speaking with them. And then when we go and talk with a real human who has feelings, we may not be able to make that distinction or we're just so ingrained in the way that we are used to talking and speaking with our machines that we we are not empathetic towards other humans. So I I think that is a huge point that you're bringing up. That framework is, is very important. And then I wanted to dig into a little bit about how you talked about virtual reality and augmented reality. Do you see that as a frontier for neurodiverse
1: um, um, yes, people. Uh, first of all, I would love to comment your uh, last remark uh, about empathy. Um, I think the people who really would love to uh, choose technology over humanity, they should make very quick uh, check for themselves. Just um, remember mm-hmm. that technology do- doesn't care about you. Never. It all. It's always fake, and they fake their emotions, their lie, the love, and a- everything in between. And even though you think some people not really fair to you, even though you uh, face some issues, sometimes prejudice, you should remember that people still care about you. Sometimes m- maybe in a negative way, but technology doesn't care and, and will never care. And a significant difference mm-hmm. and help us sometimes to forgive and be empathic even in situations that life was not so good, And it was my experience. I experienced hatred uh, to many situations of rejection, uh, unfair behavior, and so on. But I'm just trying to think with all of us in the end just trying to live their lives and sometimes our interests um, intersect each other, and sometimes we do some bad things to other people, but it doesn't mean with other people are evil and so on. So empathic um, uh, Touch to the humanity. It's really important. It will, it, it will never should be replaced by technology. And in terms of VR um, and their role um, in neurodiversity, yes, um, uh, it's actively used. Uh, uh, we uh, support startups related to. Um, special education, special scenarios would help. To, uh, ch- uh, it's typically focused on uh, younger ones between uh, under seven, six years old who are not ready for a classroom environment. So it helps to emulate some cartoons, some uh, s- uh, funny characters. So it's a kind of very soft uh, situation a playground for them uh, before robots, before a classroom, before some assistive tools. So it helps them to integrate uh, to this uh, environment yeah. and definitely not th- the best one uh, for um, um, more elder ones. And in the case of augmented reality, it's typically the case for a bit elder one. For instance, for a, uh, a smart glasses would help to recognize emotions so uh on this on the faces of other people, and it used uh, as assistive tools at schools and one of my guests uh, from Harvard basically focused on such type of technology so and it's actually supported by Google Glass, so they integrate this chip and uh, augmented uh-huh. reality module into a uh, Google Glass so actually is a pretty scalable stuff. Uh, so yeah, um, and my general perspective—it's not kind of a silver silver bullet—is pretty good for um, kids. It's pretty good for teenagers, but in the end, it's just a tool. I don't see is a kind of a definitely unique. Nope. <laughs> I would say I have a, a much more. Uh, I see much more potential in personalized learning. Uh, adaptive platforms, AI in very complex environment without replacement of reality, but more kind of finding the better environment for you is like, for instance, you uh, just purchase a new apartment, you find the best colors for your walls, uh, maybe the good um, uh, stuff, uh, sofa, maybe guitar you love. It's just the elements but it's not kind of virtual world. It's still your world, but maybe a bit more personalized, a bit more comfortable because you don't like the noise. So you leave the district, there's no the noise um, or you love the music, you love uh, the books and, and so on. So uh, in the end, it's not about replacement. It's just, a, yep, augmentation of soft elements in order to improve this framework of your life.
0: So I think we should take a moment to talk a little bit because you are a huge proponent and you have, uh, in my mind, coined the term of this non-binary vision of technology. Can you explain to us what that is?
1: Um, Yes, Um, basically I try to um, interpolate uh, the vision of the spectrum stuff into the technology uh, in general um the part of my work is dealing not only uh, with uh, neurodiversity but also assistive technology disability and also with uh, gender uh, so uh that the key thing about non-binary is, affili- is thinking about stuff as a spectrum so for instance if we thinking about women is a pattern of interest and not just particular focus for instance we think uh, some people think why products for women are always suck because we have some kind of exaggerated vision of women who love pink color, who uh, love a particular type of small dogs or so on. It's a kind of a cartoon uh, driven by media and so on. At the same time, from psychology perspective, social perspective, there's the same type of pattern of a more, I would say, masculine, more aggressive, less aggressive, shy, not shy, women who love sport, who uh, don't like it, and so on. And there's a significant amount of criterias similar to men. And uh, in, in the short, we're not able to identify women. We're not able to identify it. Just an infinite uh, range of uh, uh, criteria based not on the gender, but personality. And every personality kind of a non-binary from this perspective. There is no... A or, or B. There is no, uh, this person love blue or pink. How we typically align men on women, it doesn't work in this way. There's just infinite level of a criteria which we're able to implement for technology design. So we don't try to simplify stuff. We make a very detailed user research. Uh, we came up with the interface which aligns not to women, but individuals. So we use much more... Uh, uh, time or more individualized approach with focus groups, with the, uh, one-on-one interviews, and so on. Um, so yeah, that's how I typically see it. And I would say now it has is, is expression in my work with startups. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love it. Uh, I think we can start wrapping up and I would love to hear you speak a little bit about the benefits that companies have when they take on someone who is in this neurodiverse category?
1: Um, yeah. Um, typically, uh, when um, I ask with question, um, I tend to say, um, don't try to be good. I mean, Recently, I, uh, I'm i I'm, I'm a part of a women AI, and we will um, work on the hackathon uh, this year, and it will be titled as a zero-exclusion uh, hackathon because I really hate the inclusion term, and it's really uh, harm all of the type of underrepresented uh, communities because it tends to say like, okay, uh, Before we hated you, but now we include some of us, but we still hate you. And we don't think what you're equal to us, but we just need to include some of us just for statistics. Um, The zero exclusion is a very different stuff. We think about that... Um, we tend to think that all the people can be very talented and they have an economic perspective, economic potential. So if you exclude them, you're just not able to deliver uh, the same level of business efficiency. So when we exclude neurodiverse people, we exclude millions of super talented people. Not because they're neurodiverse, no, just because we exclude someone based on this criteria, even didn't try to uh, check them in correct way. I mean, they're not special, they're just a human. And that's the wrong question initially, because they ask, so why we should include you because you're neurodiverse? No, you should include me because I'm a good uh, accountant or I'm a good engineer. Not because I'm a neurodiverse. The question is why you plan to exclude me? What you don't like about me? I'm less communicative or I have some kind of a, a less emotions on my face. I mean, uh, that's the problem. How we ask question, we ask question, why include? The question is why we actually excluded before. Why we exclude this guy who is a brilliant uh, artist or designer just because he was not really active uh, during the interview? Why we didn't ask him about portfolio? Why we exclude him on the first interview just because he was passive? Or we didn't like his uh, facial expression, that was very emotionless. That's how it worked in real life, I mean, people not 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 included, they excluded based on some kind of a prejudices. And our work is eliminate these prejudices and create kind of a fair game when everyone is able to demonstrate, I would say, their portfolio, their superpower um, in drawing, design, technology, social science. And nobody tried to evaluate in some kind of normality, normal level of communication, normal level of, of being social, because it's a very abstract and there's no normality. And it's what non, non-binary vision is about. is uh, it's not about neurodiverse people. is everyone is about you, me, and everyone in between. We are completely different in our interest, in our story, in the way how we talk about some stuff, uh, and so on. So yes, companies should start to harvest people Just because they're not really smart to exclude some talent uh, because we live in a capitalistic economy. And if you exclude some talent, you just uh, lose in the long-term perspective. And it's not about fairness. You're just not really smart in your IHR strategy, that's all. So I like
0: the fact that you're talking about using technologies to help. uh, Let's use this example of the autistic person who doesn't need to, they bypass other technologies that are proposed right now or actually in effect like facial recognition during an interview, right? And the, the candidate gets disqualified because they weren't making enough eye contact or whatever it is that uh, the algorithm deemed to be the problem. And that's a whole nother can of worms that we've opened on the show a few times. But I th- find it fascinating that it's like, okay, let's try to cater towards their needs and we can just go around that, uh, that problem, which would be something like the algorithm, the facial recognition algorithm not liking the fact that you don't like you don't make enough eye contact or something so the the thing that i wonder about is a lot of working with people is cultural fit right so that's where i see i think that the initiative is great and what you're trying to do is great but there is a piece of if someone is not a good cultural fit, wouldn't you want to know that beforehand and figure that out? And would this technology potentially not let you see um, that until it's too uh, late? It's an
1: interesting question. Uh, it uh, taps a bit additional topic. It's very interesting for me as well. Um, I'm a part. Of, uh, I'm also a part of a. Uh, organizations related to decentralization. One of them is called unit ventures. And I believe we we live in uh, very interesting times when everyone built their own culture. I mean, Justin Bieber is a culture. I mean, Kim Kardashian is a culture. I mean, they have a 100 million followers. Uh, It's bigger than many of the countries on the planet. I mean, um, and the other thing, as I said before, the huge trend they have today, technology uh, comes from the bottom. Uh, people build technology uh, aligned to their uh, cultural uh, perception in their country. For instance, I mentor startups in Middle East and Africa and Lebanon and so on. So, for instance, we build technology, for instance, focused on similar problems, but this they their cultural specific. Um, um, so um, there is no such problem because in the end we have a competitive market and we have a particular cultural uh, touch to this technology in different countries people have a choice to live in the community we love we can subscribe to this culture nowadays we can use it as a platform they can use different stuff they can um, try it maybe use it as a subscription <laughs> free or not free uh, so uh, the good thing about this vision there is no any kind of a monopolies you really have a choice. You really can use some more mainstream one, technology platform or app. You can use some local one with closer to your cultural choice. Yeah, there is no uh, any kind of, um, I would say, domination of particular opinion. I'm really happy. Then we're actually able to use hackathons to grow Tons of different apps, even in mental health field. So it's a different perspective how to make it, how to drive well-being in classroom or workplace. Hundreds of different apps with a slightly different approach. And all of them work. You can find it on App Store, uh, and uh, um, uh, Apple Store, and so on. And the same with the robots. We have just maybe four or five companies who use robots for um, autism. In, In the future, we can use different models. We can use different approaches. And for sure, I'm not kind of a source of a... True. There's no truth. There's just a different kind of a scenarios we can use to find something that uh, f- uh, fits you better. Even for myself, I'm, uh, I'm a wolf and uh, at some point I use uh, one type of uh, approaches for myself after that. I improve it, improve it. Um, so, yeah, and I really hope uh, nobody tried to become, I would say, miserable just because something didn't work. Try something else, try something else, try something else. That's how it works. Mm. yep Yes.
0: going back to the iterating and the agile methods I I like it a lot so my last
1: question for you Um, is are you a robot? unfortunately not sometimes I think about it (laughs) Uh, yeah I would love to (laughs) that was a kind of uh, I would say joke but it's really uh, important question for me because at some point I experienced so many I would say bad experiences so I dream not feel some bad memories some kind of a things would drive a hatred in me i become very positive mindful you know there's a mindfulness trend in business i'm not mindful at all i mean i'm kind of a neurotic mm. person i care about this stuff i care what i've done wrong in the past i'm trying to be to be better more i would say a robot who just uh, measure outcomes of actions but i still care a lot So unfortunately I'm not, but maybe some modules would be very good for me, a kind of uh, robot mindfulness uh, module in my brain was very good. I love it, Yona. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and and
0: giving me all this insight into what you're doing and how we can look at uh, this diversity. And you've opened my eyes when it comes to looking at diversity and the different ways that diversity can manifest itself. So I really wanna let you know, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you you coming on here and, and thanks again.